Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. Today, we have the one, the only, and you better not mispronounce his name. He is Bilal. He is a seven-time startup sales advisor and the host of the Death to Fluff community on Bravado. Nick, why the heck should people listen? Bilal's got this idea that movie theaters use to price their popcorn, and he's translated it to the world of B2B. He calls it decoy pricing, and if you want to figure out better negotiation and pricing strategies, this one's a must listen. Let's hit it. One, two, three, death to fluff. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Bilal, welcome to the show. We're excited to talk with you today. Every show starts with three tactical, actionable tips. So let's get yours. The first one is doing number play and word plays in your subject line of your emails. So this is like tried and true. You want to give people a little bit of a puzzle. A classic example of a number play is two or three numbers that are similar, one that's a little bit off, like 10, 15, 30, 1,000. And people are like, that's weird. What is that? There's a pattern interrupt there. So you could do that with words or numbers in your subject line. The second one is how to get them talking in a cold call 
right? So think about a cold call in terms of steps. You don't just climb the mountain and get to the top. You go to base camp, stage one, stage two. A cold call is the same way. How do you get them from hello to a meeting? You've got the first five seconds, the next 15 seconds, and then the first minute of a call. Each one is very critical. And I'll break down what you need to do in those first five and 15 seconds to get them talking early so that it's a two-way conversation. And the third one is decoy pricing. This idea of using numbers to create perceived value. Very classic example, you go to the movie theater, a small popcorn, six bucks, the medium, 750, and the large is $8. Everybody goes to the large because why not add 50 cents and get that large? It's not because it's a good deal, it's because they inflated the price of the medium popcorn. So that number is wrong and it makes you feel like you got a deal. And that's just as good as getting one. The decoy pricing thing's fascinating. And we've talked a lot about cold calls in, on some other shows. And so we'll get into that. But I really want to dig into the decoy pricing thing. So I love the popcorn example because I am the king of just like getting the XXL popcorn and feeling really sick after. How do I actually put this thing to use? So the easiest way is this, right? Never overwhelm people with options. That's the job of the seller, right? You want to basically think about it like this. Can I create a board, if you will, right? Like a bingo board where I always win and the prospect always wins too. The answer is yes, you can. So you want to create something that's very simple. Think about three columns in every pricing proposal you do. The first column is standard pricing, list pricing, sticker pricing, inflate it. That is your decoy pricing. You're going to make your numbers look big. Like this is traditionally what people pay when they come in the door. Then option A is the option, not quite what they want. It's a small popcorn. It's like, yeah, that's a good price, but it doesn't have what I need in it. The options and mix of stuff that you gave me isn't quite what I needed. And then option B is the thing that they want. It's the exact mix that they want, maybe even a little bit more, but right outside their price range, right outside where they feel comfortable. It's like, ooh, I wanted to play 20K. You're at like 24. It's just a little bit more than where I want it to be. The beauty of it is if you get your decoy pricing, that standard pricing inflated, you can show a lot of value for getting the right option, option B, because it's like, oh, well, this is interesting. If we just put in a little bit more money, we get everything we want. And it's still a great price because it's way better than their standard pricing. And now you've created perceived value in your deal just by using numbers. And that's the beauty of it. We always think that math is like objective. It's not. It's completely subjective. One plus one can be whatever you want it to be if you could spin it right. I love this because where you want them to land is really either B or C. And you're making A as unpalatable as possible. How do you deal with the folks who start to say, well, I don't want option A, B, or C. I want to start picking apart the features in your package, and I want to make my own option D, which happens to be closer to options A's pricing, but has more of the features of option B. Well, the beauty of it is, even if they did do that, which is rare, by the way, because most buyers are not very skilled at buying, right? Like the average buyer does it once a year for that thing that you're selling them. They're not super hardcore and like do it on a regular basis to know to do that. But even if you did... You have to set up the pricing in such a way where you win either way. So think of it like this, that small popcorn for six bucks, it's a horrible deal. It's a horrible deal. It's like they give you a, like a little cup, like it might as well be like the little cup my three-year-old uses at daycare to like drink water. It, like you, There's like three popcorns in it. It doesn't make any sense to buy. Your option A is similar to that. It's like this is bare bones and it's kind of expensive. Like the unit economics of it don't make much sense. But you know what? If you need it, if you need that like low functionality option and you're willing to pay a little bit more because it's not quite what you need, here it is. 
So even if they did that, you still win because again, you're setting up the board in such a way where no matter where they land, you're getting the deal you want. And because you're anchoring them high with a standard price, then hitting them with something that doesn't quite fit with what they want at a price that doesn't make sense. And then showing them just chip in a little more, put in a grand or two grand more and you get everything you want. And then some, it's very hard to resist that psychology. We are hardwired to see that as value. It's just how our minds work. And that's why buy one, get one freeze exists. That's why everything is $1.99 instead of $2. These deals have been time tested by marketers in the retail world. And we just got to apply it to our B2B sales. I'm wondering what happens when you enter a competitive scenario where you've got competitors in the mix? Because it's different in the movie theater. There's only one snack stand. But what if you've got two next to each other? Yeah, there's a bigger answer there, which is like, you're not going to win the right deals on pricing against competition. You need to have won that deal beforehand. And the pricing conversation is just to button it up. Never think about pricing as the way to win the deal because that's just, it's a race to the bottom and you're not going to come out with something that you're going to be satisfied with. And odds are they're probably not going to stick around long enough for you to feel the celebrations from your team. That's just how it goes, right? So if you're in a competitive situation, but this is interesting, you can use pricing as a proof point. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Pricing is a great tell on how a company thinks about its product. If I price my product on seats, and you price your product on feature bundles, that tells you about how I think about my product as like a consumption-based product and how you think about your product as a value add. You're like, it doesn't matter how many seats you have. It matters what you use those seats for. While I'm over here saying, no, no, I want to charge you per seat. So when you see differences between how your competition prices and how you price, you absolutely one bajillion percent highlight that in your pricing proposal. And you drill that into the bigger story you hopefully shared with them way in the beginning of the whole sales process on how there's a fork in the road. You can go left or you can go right. And they are very different. And here's why. And you use the pricing of your competitor to show them being like, that's why our competition prices this way. You either will or will not see that in my pricing because of that big narrative I shared with you earlier. So one strategy that I've heard is if you know you're the premium in the market, never propose feature for feature parity. So never have two packages that are exactly the same because it looks like your apples to apples more expensive. So is that something that you believe is true or are you doing something else with the feature mix relative to your competition? So the features that you want to show that make up the bundle of the pricing aren't necessarily things that cost your business anything, but are things that your buyer cares about. It's the weirdest thing where like every startup that I worked at did their pricing wrong because they price based on their internal cost of sales or the cost of goods, not what the buyer actually wanted. So classic example of this. So one of the startups I worked at, we could spin up an instance for a customer with just a simple click of a button. It cost nothing. One day on one of the calls, somebody was like, oh, could we have an instance for our engineering for the org that we mess around with internally and just do some sandboxing on? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So like, how much does that cost? I was like, uh, it costs. And I came up with a number and they were like, oh, cool. Let's include that. And I was like, oh my God, wait a second. Are people willing to pay for this? And it made all the sense in the world. Why would you want, I mean, if the product is good and it solves a problem and it helps them discover bugs, why would they not want it on their sandbox environment where they do their testing? So next thing you know, my next pricing proposal, I included a field that said other instances, right? And I would say includes up to three and I would put a pricing number on it, right? And my competition never did that because they didn't think about that either. 
But I'm like, it doesn't matter. And everybody internally was like, why are you charging for that? I'm like, why wouldn't I? People want to pay for it. It's what they want, not what I care about. It doesn't cost us anything to spin it up, but they're willing to pay for it. So the construct of your, think about it like this. The construct of your columns is the decoy pricing, standard A, B, right? That's your small, your medium, and your large, right? But the constructs of your rows, right? are not necessarily the things that cost your company money internally. They might be things that your buyer cares about that you can either bundle in, but make it look like it's a cost, but give it to them for free, right? So it's like, I'm including this in your package. Normally in the standard pricing, this would cost $600. But for you, Armin, I'm giving it to you. It's part of your option B, but it's not included in option A. And then they're like, oh, so option B is a real value add. There's perceived value from that. This is really interesting because it plays on some of the laws of human psychology and human interaction. And I've seen you post about some other things about that on LinkedIn. Like I've seen you talk about transparency and using it as a really effective tool in the sales process. There's something called the forgetting curve. Just Google it, right? It's a known thing. And you break the forgetting curve, you break it by spiking people's attention and doing things that are unexpected. Unexpected things can be silly, they can be funny, they could be horrible, but these are the things that we remember. And you want to be unexpected as a seller, you want to delight them. I cannot think of a better way to delight a prospect than to tell them pricing on the first call without them having to even ask. Literally right from the beginning when I'm setting the agenda for the call, I'm like, also, if it's okay with you, I'd like to make sure I talk about pricing before we end the call today, because I don't want you guessing what all this is going to be. And you do it in a wise manner. You do it in a good manner. This is the way you tell people pricing from day one without them getting the heebie-jeebies. You tell them our base pricing starts at X, X being a very small number, and typically for People similar to you are some of our customers that are similar to you in size and industry and org. It's usually between this and that. And you give them a range and people go, oh, okay, now I got it. So it's giving me some sort of a range. I'd like to be on the lowest end of that range. I wonder how I get down there. Then you follow up that sentence with, these are the factors, the five factors, the six factors that typically affect pricing. I won't go into too much detail today, but I just wanted to make you aware That delights people. And you've now set the stage. By the way, those six factors or whatever factors you list, those are the rows in your pricing. So it all comes back full circle. You posted something super controversial on LinkedIn that I'm really fascinated by. You talked about kicking off a demo by talking about something your product doesn't have yet by saying, hey, we're missing this feature. And most people would be like, oh my gosh, you never touch that. But you did it in a really interesting way. Your product is not perfect. They already know it. They're looking for where the holes are. Why not just show them right from the beginning? And it's delightfully unexpected. You're going to impact the forgetting curve when you do that. And that's half the battle, half the battle, because that's the core of communication, being memorable, staying in their mind, having the right message there. Starting off right from the beginning, just being like, guys, We're building something that, like I talked about, a future state that we believe there's a fork in the road here. We believe this is the right way to go and other people are going this way. And you kind of agree that this feels like the right way to you. Let me tell you what we don't do on this road. We don't do this. All right. We like to do this. This is where we put all of our time and energy. And people who seem to get that do very well. 
just want to make sure you feel that way too. You get that buy-in in the first five minutes of a call. Woo! It's gravy when you start showing them all those cool whiz-bangy features. If they don't believe in your product anyways, they're over there skeptically looking to see where the holes are. When they finally appear, if you've ever demoed a group, you know there's the characters, right? There's the champion. There's the decision maker. There's always the skeptic. I like to give that person ammo from the beginning. I like to take the words out of their mouth right in the beginning of the call because the last thing I need is a heckler during my demo. So Bilal, my question is, I know you do some fun stuff when it comes to your phone openers, and I think you use some of that transparency stuff there as well. Can we go back to what we talked about at the beginning of the interview and break down your cold call and how you start that from the beginning of the sales cycle? What you do in a cold call is you ask them a peer question that makes them realize, oh my God, this person knows my world. It's like as if somebody, if like a fourth person joined this podcast and started telling us like cold calling best practices, we're like, oh, they know, they know what we talk about. How do they know what us sellers do when we're when we're on podcasts together? You want that, like, what do CFOs say in a room together when they like meet at like a conference? What are they talking about? I'll give you some precise examples. So Like right now, one of the startups that I'm working with, they sell a solution to financial advisors. The market has a bunch of tools like this that kind of suck. So the tool that they sell, helps these financial advisors analyze their portfolios so that they're giving the right investment to their clients. Our cold openers are really simple. We say our company won the wealth management award in 2019 for this. It's just a proof point, right? Just just like a social proof point that no, we're not crazy. Then we go straight into them be like, a lot of advisors are cobbling together five different tools, and we list five of our competitors to try to translate risk capacity, their words, not mine, to their clients. And it doesn't really go so well, especially when clients get emotional and they end up leaving their advisor. Am I wildly off base in saying this sounds familiar for you, or am I just rambling here or both? I love the for both. They're like, no, 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 you're not, you're not rambling. No, no, no. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. And they're like, actually, I've used so-and-so. We're like, oh, great. That's one of our competitors. What did you like about it? You said you used it? What do you mean used? So you're not currently using it? And literally that's the 15 second. That's, it's like the first second is, I know you're expecting my call. Do you have a moment? I promise to be brief. I'm cold calling you. Are you good? You're going to be okay with this? Fantastic. Yes. Proceed. No. When should I call you back? Sometimes when SDRs will call me, they'll give me these random pain points that are totally off. But every once in a while, they'll be like, I'll be like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm good. I got it taken care of. And they'll be like, well, one thing when you're trying to get your reps to cold call, we found that seven other sales teams have this specific thing that happens every single day. And I'm like, whoa, you, you like stalking me, man. Like that. And it's weird when it creeps in your day. And it's so hard to figure out what that is. But if you can figure out what that is by doing really good discovery on other calls and then weaving that into your cold call, I'm telling you, it freaking sets you off as a buyer. And you're like, all right, that's a little bit weird. Like you actually got my interest. Well, Bilal, I know we can go on and on and on about this stuff, but we've hit it all. We've hit the edges today. So we hit the edges of negotiation. We hit the edges of prospecting and we came a little bit into disco, but we didn't hit it a ton, but man, what an episode. So the last question that we ask everybody is there are a ton of good habits that we talked about today, but there are also a lot of bad habits out there. And so if there was one thing that every rep needed to stop doing today, what would that be? That's a great question. The thing that I wish I knew 
to stop doing when I was early on that I'd advise others on this, you know, listening to the show is that the buyer's journey is universal. Okay. Whether it's a stick of gum, a house, a piece of software, we go through the same stages and I like things that are universal, right? I like that. That makes my life easy. The five buyer stages are unaware, aware, consideration, evaluation, decision. No matter what we're buying, we go through those. Do not talk to somebody who's in the unaware state like they're considering your product. Just even imagine for a moment, a sales organization stop calling their prospects leads and call them like people who are unaware. Like nomenclature matters, right? Imagine that. That would just at least get people in the mindset of like, wait, this person's never even heard of my company, let alone my product. I love it. All right, Bilal, anything else you want to leave with the audience before we sign off? Please join me on the Death to Fluff community, guys. That's the place. There's 700 sellers already there. It's totally free. We get it. We're a tribe. Any seller knows the feeling of having to fake dials to look busy, of having their commission check played with, of dealing with a micromanager that didn't quite get that they were putting up numbers, which was the whole point of sales. You're not alone. You're not alone. And you're not crazy for thinking those things are wrong. There's a whole community out there that gets it. Come to a safe space. We're all the same tribe. Let's learn from each other. Alrighty, folks, everybody get on the death to fluff bandwagon and hang on for a 60 second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways with the one and only Bilal include number one, decoy pricing. You got your $6 undesirable popcorn. You got your $750 acceptable popcorn. And then you got your $8 popcorn, which is the large. It's just what you need, and it's just outside of your price range. That's how you price software. Number two, in the first 15 seconds of your cold call, explain why you called, tell them it's a cold call, and then ask a peer question based on the problems you know executives tend to have. Number three, in your agenda, tell your customer, hey, 
the last thing I want you to do is feel like you left this call not knowing what this costs and then tell them you're going to handle pricing before they get off the call. And then number four, use what they want, not what you want, which is seats. Use what they want as the rows in your pricing matrix. Nick, what can people do to help? No reviews, no follows, no comments. We just want one thing here, and that is a subscription. So go into iTunes, only iTunes, no Stitcher, no Spotify. We just want iTunes and subscribe to 30 Minutes to Presence Club so you can see us next week on the show. Thanks. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.